Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the text that was read from Ephesians chapter 4. One of the things about this text that we're going to be reading is this, that a lot of people don't like doctrine. It's too weighty, too wordy, and a lot of people don't like practical preaching because it is not deep enough. And, and so we're going to be living in two worlds as you go through Ephesians 4. Uh, because I want to remind you that what St. Paul does is he always gives you the doctrine before he calls on you to do the duty. He always lays the foundation before he builds the building. And when we come to Ephesians chapter 4, we are moving away from the doctrinal part of the teaching which we have had from chapter 1 through chapter 3 and especially up to chapter 4 and verse 11. Now when we come to this text, he's asking you to put the, the doctrine into practice. To move it from the top shelf, if you please, and bring it to the place where it can be tasted, where it can be touched, where it can be seen. For many, many people, one of the charges that has been brought against Christianity is that many Christians have the language but not the life that they're able to give you a good amount of information, but they do not inspire you. That it is possible for us to be able to turn to chapter and verses because we have memorized them. But those chapters and verses have not been internalized where they begin to affect our lives. And so for the next few Sundays, we'll be looking at each of the sections given to us from Paul and putting it into practical, practical expression where it, it is now a part of show me, show me. As someone said years ago, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidences to convict you? If I were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence? If, if someone asked a great man of God who was one of my favorite men, preacher, fellow, I don't, I don't think anyone in here would know who Harold Wildish is, but a great, great man of God influenced my life in the Word of God. And someone asked him one time, Dr. Wildish, are you a Christian? And I love his answer. He said, ask Mrs. Wildish. Wow. I, I don't know that I would want to say to you, ask Mrs. Thurton. Because <laughs> I might be living in a dream world. <laughs> and when I ask, when I tell you to ask her, she might tell you something like what I have, what, what Paul is saying here is that, is that, that somehow when you speak the language, People should be able, if not to see a comprehensive view of the lifestyle, they should be able to see glimpses of the lifestyle that this language calls for. Jesus is praying for his disciples in John chapter 17. And he prays this prayer. 
He said, I do not pray that you will take them out of the world, but that you will keep them in the world. Strange prayer, isn't it? Do you not think that if, that if God was concerned about your life and mine, that what he, he would do, as soon as he saved us, he would take us out of this world? Because who wants to stay in a world like this? But Jesus did not pray that. He said, we are in the world. We are in the world. We are here. And I was trying to, 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 to think of this. Have you ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? I remember when our son wanted his birthday. I think it was our son or our daughter, I'm not too sure. They wanted to go to Chuck E. Cheese. And, and, and the only thing I can think about in Chuck E. Cheese is, Lord, save me. <laughs> the noise. But see, when you are in Chuck E. Cheese, you are in the noise. And, and, and you, have, you have two prayer in there. Help me to cope or help me to get out. <laughs> See, in the world, that's, what, that's like being in Chuck E. Cheese. You're in it. There's not much you can do about it because you're there. And Jesus is saying, I want you to keep them in it. I want them to live in the world and yet live so, so diametrically opposed to everything around them, that there'll be a distinction between them and the world in which they're living in. This is what he's called us to be, to do, to live. And so Paul begins by saying, I want you to understand that there is a Christian lifestyle. It is not a lifestyle that we say, this is how you're supposed to walk. This is how you're supposed to sing. This is supposed the way you're supposed to look. No. This is the way you're supposed to be. Be. Being. As we shall see in a few minutes. He begins by saying, verse 17, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord. What, what Paul wants you to know, that the calling for this lifestyle is not something that he has developed. It is not a strategy that he has actually said, this is how I think those Christians in Ephesus ought to live. He wants you to know that he is in communion with God and what he's, he's saying about what he's going to say. He wants you to know that it is coming from God. It is true that Paul, as a man, is speaking. But it, it, is, it is also true that what he is speaking is divinely delivered. It is not human opinion. It is not philosophical jargon. It is something that comes from the very heart and the instruction of God. Now I have heard people saying this all the time. I don't want any man to stand up and tell me how to live my life. No, that is true. From the standpoint, if all that the man is saying is the man's own opinion. Please listen to this, my friends. God always gives instruction by his representatives. Let me illustrate it for you. God is going to speak to Israel. So he speaks through Moses. 
God is going to speak to the people of Israel after Moses. So he speaks through David. God is going to speak later on to his people. So he speaks through Jeremiah. God always speaks by representatives. And so when he's going to speak to the church, he spoke through Paul. He spoke through Peter. He spoke through John. So the man who stands there must say in the Old Testament equivalent, which was, thus saith the Lord, Paul says it in a different way. I say this in communion with the Lord. I am instructed to say this to you. What does he want us to know? He wants us to know that having spoken of those great, great, high doctrinal truths, that God did not intend doctrinal truths to stay in an upper room where no one can touch it, where no one can see it. He wants it now to be transformed into everyday living so that when you and I live in this, if you please, this Chuck E. Cheese world, there is a contrast. We are in it, but we're not living by it. This is what he's calling us to see. And so the calling for this Christian lifestyle is not the church. The church is the Christian lifestyle. Uh, the, the first school I went to, and I must be very careful now because when Kim was talking about whether you're going to the website, I keep thinking I better be careful of, of illustrations now because if people are going to the website, they might hear something I say. I mean, I wouldn't say anything that I'm not supposed to say, but they'll say, I didn't know that. So I want, I want to be careful. But the first school I went to was a very, very strict school. I mean strict. Let me give you an illustration. There was one door for boys and one door for girls. There was a bell that rang in the morning for you to get up. A bell for you to have your quiet time. A bell for you to go to breakfast. A bell for you to go to school. The boys had to have their sideburns no, late, no lower than the lobe. The girls had to have their dresses six inches below the knee. I mean, the school was known for everything, but for what the school should have been known for. When we, when we would go out, people would look at us. He comes from that school? He walks. <laughs> he talks. And, and I can tell you, when I became a part of the staff, and, and, and we, there were lots of students from Oregon, from Washington, uh, lots, of, lots of students from the Pacific Northwest, and, and, and especially those Californian students, they used to complain about the strict rules of the school. I mean, they could not cope with that. And I used to say to them, um, you said that God brought you to this school? Yes. You think that God knew what the rules were before you came? Yes. Then your complaint is to whom then? Yeah. You see, my, my friends, what I, what I want to get to you is that it is true that we can come to Jesus just as we are. But when you come to Jesus just as you are, he doesn't leave you just as you are. 
when you come to Jesus, he begins, he begins to affect your lifestyle. A lifestyle that is built upon truth. It is, not, it is not something that we say you ought to do. That's the reason this church doesn't have any rules you are supposed to live by. Anything that contradicts the lifestyle, we must go to the scripture and say, Thus saith the Lord. Not an idea we have as to how you ought to live. How you ought to live comes by your relationship with Him. And so I want you to understand that, that the calling to this lifestyle is a divine calling. It's a calling that comes from God. You are related to Him, and now He is relating to you. So look at verse 17b, this contrasting lifestyle. Look at what it says. By, 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 by being in connection with God, I want you to walk no longer as Gentiles walk. Isn't that amazing? Two people are walking, but the walking is not the same. One walk is a contrast to the other. You're in the noise. You're hearing the noise. But you're not affected by the noise per se. You're able to excel in spite of the noise. And this is what he's saying. Your walk is your conduct. Your walk is your behavior. Your walk is your, 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 your actions. And they are to be visible and observable, a contrast to everything else around you. Listen to St. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold all things. In the Greek, it is becoming new. We're beginning a new journey. I came across this story in Chuck Colson's book telling the story of Mickey Cohen, C-H-O-H-E-N. And you might not even know who he is. If you're older, you will remember that Mickey in the 70s was one of the, the, the most notorious gangsters in the United States. And Mickey was invited to the Billy Graham Crusade in 1957 in Los Angeles. And Mickey was intrigued with what went on. And he even made a, a profession. And so his friend, Bill Jones, said to, to Mickey, Mickey, now that you are a Christian, you have got to stop running around with those friends. They, you've got to be a contrast to them. As a new Christian, you ought to be putting miles between you and them. Now, I want you to listen to Mickey's response. You never told me I had to give up my career as a gangster. There are Christian movie stars, Christians athletes. There are Christian businessmen. So what's the matter with being a Christian gangster? Isn't that amazing? See, somehow there was no connection made because true Christianity is, is, is when you become a part of the family of God, this is what happens. God said, I will, put, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh 
and give you a heart of flesh, something that I can work with. I can't work with what you came with, so I'm going to change all that. And I will put my spirit within you. Please listen now. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. When you become a part of God's family, God does something to change us from the inside so that we are able now to begin to delight in that which we never found delight in before. A lifestyle that is, that is constantly changing. Or in my words, only Christians can be converted. Think that one through. Non-Christians are born again to be converted. Conversion means to change, to change, to change. So to make sure that we understand the contrast, Paul now is going to delineate and describe for us what life is like without God as compared to life with God. Verses 18 and 19. He says that life without God is the absent, the absent of God in the lifestyle. The absent of God in the lifestyle. Look in the middle of verse 18. In the middle of verse 18, we're told that we live in a culture, the culture of those who, promo- who's, who's, who promotes a lifestyle that comes from a life that is alienated from God. You know, in a real sense, one would feel somewhat reluctant to say this. But that's true. As wonderful as as, as America is, the promotion of lifestyle in America, in Canada, is a lifestyle without God. And if we don't believe that, my friends, we will always try to make this world a better place Because we believe that somehow we can Christianize people who are not Christians so that they live a life like we do. But that is impossible. It is impossible. Like like being in Chuck E. Cheese, you can't change the noise. We are in it. What is Nietzsche? The godless philosopher said this. That when we evict God from the world, the world will see evil like it has never seen it before. Isn't that true? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that we train people in universities and colleges, (laughs) we train them to live like there is no God but we send them to jail when they live like that. You see, here we are. They're alienated from God. But I want you to notice in verse 18 what is happening. He's dealing with the mind, with the intellect. Let me read it for you. This is not, this is not my words. This is God's word. Look at verse 18. Being darkened in their understanding excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. 
where, where is the development of philosophies by which people are living their lifestyle? Please listen, my friends. Viktor Frankl, he escaped. He was one of the few who escaped the Holocaust of Germany. And listen to what he says. I am absolutely convinced that the gas chambers were ultimately prepared not in some ministry of government or other in Berlin, but listen, but rather at the desk and in the lecture of nihilistic scientists and philosophers. In other words, he's saying they studied how to live life without God. And when they studied to live life without God, they came up with these evil devices. So we, we have, in, in, in our day, we have our children. And sometimes we are troubled as to why so many of our young people go to universities and they come home atheistic. Because they have to hear. They hear the Chuck E. Cheese noise every day. The Chuck E. Cheese philosophy every day. They hear that there is no God. That if you believe in that, you're naive. As Richard Dawkins said just recently, that Oxford should seek to stop people from coming to Oxford who believe in God. Interestingly enough, when the motto of Oxford is that they live by the, by the Spirit of God. <laughs> but he's saying stop them. I listened this past week to a program. It was put on by the National Journalism Education Association. The conference was, was called together for high school students across the United States, or in this part of the United States. And they were supposed to be addressing bullying. Dan Savage was the speaker. I don't think Mr. Savage is... 30 years old. He spent his entire time castigating God, the church, the Bible, and those who oppose homosexuality. His whole theme, he was so bad, students started to get up and walk out. They could not take what he was saying. And you can just imagine you can just imagine what, how he described those students that were leaving. But you see, he, he, here's a life without God. He, here's a life, my friends, that is living in true response from the philosophy that actually is a part of that culture. Now, we're not saying to take our children out of universities. We're not saying to stop them from playing with other kids who don't believe like they do, but we better make sure that they know what they believe before they go into that situation. That's what we need to know. And that's what Paul is saying. Let, let, let me suggest to you what happened. I remember one day I was driving my daughter from high school. And, and like I said, you can, never, you can always tell when, who's the last person that listened to the radio in the car. You know, if Heather was the last one, I, I know what station would be there. If I were the last one, I'd news me. You know, that's all I listen to. So one day I picked up Heather and we were on our way. And 
I heard a song, and what I heard in that song, I thought, my word. So I said to Heather, did you hear what he just said? He said, no, what did he say? Now, the radio was on for her to listen to her station. But something was said, she didn't even hear it. Because all she heard was Chuck E. Cheese noise. Did not even pay attention to it. Now, my daughter was a high school student, so I'm not certainly talking against her, none at all. But I'm saying, my friends, that sometimes we can become familiar with the noise that we no longer hear what is being said by the noise. That is why I'm going to tell you now. I would never listen to, read, watch anything that is produced by, by uh, Woody Allen. Woody Allen is known as Hollywood's most notorious atheist, and his lifestyle is there to prove it. My friends, the Bible says, don't walk as Gentiles, and I can't get my philosophy for life from that kind of a noise. My philosophy of life must come from my relationship with God. You know, I, I, I wish we could put on a concert every week like we did last night. Because that means that our young people would have something to come and listen to, to see other young people giving their lives to the service of God. I, I am concerned about this because, my dear friends, I want to tell you, we're losing more young people from the system than anything at the moment as I speak with you. I do not even need to tell you that's, that some of our young girls, because of, of the behavior of some of the young men in the church, sometimes end up marrying non-Christian men simply because the way Christian boys behave is not consistent with what they say they believe. Paul said, don't let your walk be like this. Don't be afraid to be a contrast. Don't be afraid to be different. Because your different is not ha-ha. Your different is, I know whom I have believed, and I know that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. They can't argue against that. So, that's the life without God. Now Paul goes to the lifestyle. You see, the philosophy will produce the lifestyle. So the philosophy is that there is no God. The philosophy is that I don't need God. The philosophy is that I don't want a man to stand up and tell me what to do. So what do I do then? Then I begin to live life as I see it, as they say it is supposed to be lived. So we get to verse 19. Verse 19. And here's the lifestyle without God. We, we, we look at the outcome of that philosophy. And the first thing, three things we find. The first thing we find in verse 19, the first part, is what I call mental descent. They are going down, down, down. Look at it, verse 19. And they have become callous. Or, in other, in other words, listen, listen to what the King James says. Who are people without feelings. People without feelings. That is... They can do the most notorious and obnoxious thing and joke about it and smile about it. Do, do, do I need to tell you, my friends, about this lifestyle that, 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 that sometimes we live in and we don't even know 
what is happening? May I tell you of two university, two high school students, Ivy League students, who murdered one of their friends and went to a New Year's party as though nothing happened? Do you remember the Menendez, Menendez brothers? That, that terrible, terrible ordeal with those two boys and their mother? Do you remember that? Past feelings. I, I watched Dan Savage on that video castigating God, demeaning those who believe in God. And he stood there as though he was offering a speech that encouraged students to be virtuous. No shame. This generation has lost its ability to shame because it is past feeling. We mock at evil. We mock at sin. There's a radio station, 990, sometimes when I'm going home. It's an all-comedic station. And, and sometimes it's very funny, but I'm going to tell you two-thirds of the time, I can't listen to it. Because they poke fun at God as though it is just one of those things. And my friends, we can no longer, as believers in this culture, say, they only use one swear word in the movie. Because one swear word, my friends, lead to two swear words. And every time, every time we give them a little bit of entrance in, they take hold of us, and then two swear words become three swear words, and three swear words become four swear words. And before too long, you can sit and listen. Listen, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but you'll remember the name Adolf Eichmann. When he was being executed for the notorious things he did. Reverend William Hull went to him when he was about to die and to read the Bible to him. He had, Eichmann had only two hours to live, therefore no time to waste. He walked 50 yards from his cell to the execution chamber, calm and erect, with his hands bound behind him. When the guards tied his ankles and knees, he asked them to loosen the bonds, for he said, I can stand straight. I don't need that, he said. When the black hood was offered him, he was in complete control of himself. He was more, he was completely controlling of himself. Nothing could demonstrate this more convincingly than the grotesque silliness of his last words he began by stating emphatically that he did not believe in life after death. I, 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 when I read this, I thought, isn't this interesting? He did not believe in life after death. But this is what he said. That in death, he shall meet some of his friends. Now, isn't that amazing? Didn't believe in death. So as he was on his way to the chamber, he proceeded. After a short while, gentlemen, we shall meet again. Such is the faith of all men. Long live Germany. Long live Argentina. Long live Austria. I shall not forget them. In the face of death, he had found the cliche used at funeral oratory. Under the gallows, his memory played him the last trick 
he was elated and he forgot that he was about to witness his own funeral. Past feeling. I remember, I remember when it was not proper for certain things to be said in public. It happens now. You and I hear it every day. Past feelings. Well, let me go on. This is the Bible's teaching, friends, and this is hard to understand because you and I live with some very wonderful people. But let me suggest to you, friends, that without the Bible, there is no telling what your neighbors, what my neighbors can do. There's no telling. Personal disintegration, verse 19b. Having given themselves over to, I love this word, the King James says, having given themselves over to lasciviousness. The word is licentiousness. That is, that they give themselves over. They actually say, this is what I want to live for, a la Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde was one of those men, playwright, dramatist, poet, critic, and Wilde castigated anyone who would try to take away his right to live with, with whatever sensuality he wanted to live. He had given himself over to it. And we might not know anyone who is doing that, friends, but we see the results of the lifestyle of people. They're living out what they have been taught. I cannot tell you, but I thought, I wonder who educated Dan Savage for him to speak the way he did. Uh, this is a meeting having to do with bullying. bullying. It occurs to us that this is something as I was preparing. Have you ever heard of anyone who is suffering pain and disease, killing themselves? Who, who are the people who deliberately kill themselves. People who are living for pleasure. They're the ones who do it. The, the, the person who is sick might want to die because of the pain. But they're not going to deliberately say, this is what I'm going to... Someone else will do it for them, but they're not the ones who are going to do it. Ordinarily, ordinarily. It's the people, my friends. Did, did you watch? Did you watch? And I'm sorry to say it. The, 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 the report on how Whitney Houston died. Did anyone see that? I almost cried because this was a woman who stood before people and made so many people happy while her own life was being disintegrating from within. And she's not the only one, of course. There are many. So G.K. Chesterton is right that we get more pain out of pleasure while those who are Christ can get pleasure in the midst of pain. They have come loose from their own moorings. One of the books I had to study in college was a book titled Brave New World. And oh, my friends, I tell you, I had to wave through that book, I think, four or five hundred pages. I tell you, it was not easy to read. Disintegration from within. Lastly, moral debauchery, verse 19. Practicing every kind of Every kind of impurity with greed. More leads to more. Experimentation of immoral behavior is a way of life. 
In Portland this past week, a mother was arrested for taking her daughter into a strip club. You may have heard the news. What I'm telling you, my friends, is that we are in, in the noise. And, and what Paul is saying, that in spite of being in the noise, you are called, I am called, to live a life that is in contrast to all that. That's what verses 20 and to 20, 24 will give us next week. We are called to live. Let, let me close with the words of Peter. Not even Paul, but Peter. Paul is arguing from the text that, that when a relationship with Christ is established, the moral behavior is affected. Now listen to what Peter writes, and I close with this. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the, the desires of the Gentiles, nations, non-Christians, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, darkness, carousal, carousal, carousal drinking, parties, abominable idolatries. And in all this, they are surprised that you no longer run with them into the same excess of dissipation. And listen, please listen. Because you no longer live that way, they begin to malign you. They begin to malign you. To criticize you. You think you're better than we are. You're more righteous than we are. Goody, goody two-shoes, that's one of the... My friends, that is a voice that comes from a culture that says, I don't like what you like. I want you to be tolerant with me, but I have no tolerance for you. That's where we are. But Paul doesn't say, let's run and hide. He says, let's live a life that is in contrast to that kind of a lifestyle so that when they see that lifestyle, they will ask you, what, how can you live that way when everybody around you is living another way? And you will say, my journey on this road began when I developed a relationship with Jesus Christ for he produced a teaching to me that led to me beginning to change from one state to another to become like him. I challenge you, my friends, listen to God's word. This might be hard for some of us to understand because we know some good people. But let me suggest, like Viktor Frankl, don't forget that some of the good people are teaching in the places where your children and your grandchildren are getting instruction. And some of those good people might not say they don't believe in God, but they buy into the philosophy that does, and they teach from the same source. May God help us not to be afraid or ashamed of being distinct, the people of God, in a dark world, so that we might shine as lights. Let's pray. Father, I confess that this was no easy message to preach, but it is your word. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will allow us to have heard only what God wanted us to hear. And that, Father, we will respond not so much to what a man says about God, but what God has said through the man. 
So take this word and use it as you see fit to bring change into the lives of your people and to bring glory to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.